Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today on the show, we're going to go over the top three 2022 NFL Draft Prospects at every defensive position. On the last podcast, we did offensive players. This podcast, we're doing defensive players. Now, at the back end of the podcast, we have an interview with USC head coach Clay Helton. He has been there for a long time. This is his 12th season at USC. He's coached Sam Darnold, Juju Smith-Schuster, worked with Robert Woods. He has done a lot at USC, has a lot of good feedback on Michael Pittman Jr. And quote-unquote, the next big thing, Drake London, who he compares to Mike Evans on this interview. It's going to be a special one. Make sure to tune in at the back end of the podcast. Let's get it. dinner with Chris Collinsworth on Monday. He invited me to this nice dinner in the private room at Jeff Ruby's here in Cincinnati, one of the nicest steakhouses in Cincinnati. Also has a dish named after Chris Collinsworth. Yeah. Two dishes now. The lobster and the steak is named after Collinsworth. I don't really? know if he's getting royalties on that. He was surprised as well, which I found like you don't have to like Sprung double check with him. him. Yeah. I don't know how that works. But uh, he said he listens to the podcast all the time. So you're listening to a podcast, by the way, that Chris Collinsworth, Emmy Award winning Chris Collinsworth, by the way, they won another Emmy. I think that was announced late last night. Um, he listens to this podcast as well. He said, if that di this dinner doesn't make the podcast, I don't know. I'm going to be really upset. But what were the he highlights did from it? Some highlights. The food was obviously fantastic. Yeah. He told a story about when he went one-on-one -on -one against Lester Hayes. Okay. And uh, that was when Lester Hayes was wearing a ton of stickum on his hands. And this was an unreal story because well, he was the original question was like, what has changed so much about the game? And he said the gloves make it so much harder to drop footballs in today's NFL compared to he only wore gloves in two games. Where one in like the Arctic Bowl or whatever, when it was like minus 59 degrees. Like and then in his last game, and in his last game, he wore gloves. And they weren't even close to what, you know, what they are now. But anyway, I guess Lester Hayes, he said he knew Lester Hayes like to talk a lot of trash and like to get in your head. He said on the first play, I'm going to go cut Lester Hayes. This is when you're allowed to like cut block at the receiver position. Yeah, outside. So I'm just going to run out there and just chop him. And he does it, chops him down. And apparently, I didn't know this. And I'm not going to mimic what Chris said. Uh, he does it better than I do. But Lester Hayes had a really bad stutter. Like when he was talking to trash. <laughs> and so he like stutters like like 30 times, like if, 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 if you, 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 you do, do, do. And then like, but he pretty much was saying, if you do this again, I'm going to poke your eyes out. And then like started to shove these like stick them things in his eyes. <laughs> and the ref was laughing, not even like trying to split him up, but like laughing. And Chris is like trying to hide from Lester Hayes, like stick him hands in his eyes. But uh, it was different, you know, because that was the other thing he said, how you catch footballs and how much people yeah. hit you back in the day. He said people would aim for the your chin. They said they weren't helmet on the chin back in the day. And that's just next level, dude. You don't see that anymore, man, unless your Vontae's perfect. No one's doing that, man. No one's no one's headhunting like they were back in the day. But it was a fun dinner. Fun hanging out with Chris, Chris and the guys there at Jeff Ruby's. Any highlights from you, man? I heard you had a pretty decent weekend. I was at a wedding, my buddy's wedding. I was one of the groomsmen. Uh saw a friend of the pod, Nick Ballore. Nick Ballore. Absolute stud. Yeah. I mean, uh Pro Bowler, Nick Ballore. He Resigned with Seahawks. He also fought. he was also the one who got death threats for a little bit of a late hit on C.D. Lamb or something. Or what oh, was yeah. that? Yeah, what was that? He tackled C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb got hurt on the play. It was in no way a dirty tackle. And he was like, "Oh, you went for his knees." It's like that's kind of where you're supposed to aim nowadays. It's like yeah. that guy's knees, and it's on special teams. And that's when C.D. Lamb. It was like a minor injury, and he had he he was showing me on Instagram. He was just scrolling through his like unread DMs, and it's just like you son of a bitch, like you cheap shot, you dirty <laughs> motherfucker, and like then like comments on all his posts are the same thing, and it's like fandom. 
go back to it. It's especially Cowboys fandom. It's a problem. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he uh, that was a good time. Um, there wasn't a good time when he forklifted me on the dance floor. Which explain was, to the, re- the listeners what a forklift is. Is when you just get picked up with one arm from behind between your legs. Didn't love that. Uh, actually, I, I, th- like I thought it was actually hilarious. Um, he he obviously did too. And he thought it was so funny that my other friend ended up forklifting me. So I was just like, that was, the mark. That was the mark. That was the mark at the wedding. But because I enjoy stuff like that. A double forklift not enjoy. Okay, not I'm a saying piece. I enjoy stuff like that made it sound weird. It's more like No, I think you do up. enjoy it. And they know that I won't get upset about all right, I want to reset that. before we get into the defensive players. Uh, like I said uh, on the Adioli intro here, we have the defensive prospects, top three defensive prospects in the 2022 NFL draft here. But we're also going to, I want to reset. We're doing one podcast episode a week for about the next four weeks. Yes. We're only going to, we're going to come out Wednesday nights, one podcast episode a week, given producer Mike Quinn, you know, David Sofaro, a much needed break, Mike, a much needed break, trying to split up things as we prepare for July and a July 19th rebrand also so, there's not much to talk about there's not, not a lot to talk about. it's a summer <laughs> yeah. it's a summer but july 19th be on the lookout for a two-for-one drafts rebrand we're super stoked about it we're going to get back to two episodes a week starting that first week july 19th when we do uh, pull off that rebrand there but for the next you know four or five weeks we're going to do one episode a week coming out wednesday nights also have to introduce a new member of the show new producer on the show max chadwick Find him on Twitter. I don't know his Twitter handle, but go search Max Chadwick. He works with the Boomer Bus Podcast. is now a new social media production intern here at PFF. He's going to be a new producer working alongside David Zofaro, Mike Quinn, us both, to make the 2 for 1 Drafts Podcast as good as it gets. Last update here, if you are watching on YouTube, not only do we have the Campbell Camel's Helmet, we now have candles we have we have candles from mr spurrier here follow him uh he's he reached out on twitter and said hey i know you guys are trying to get stuff for the podcast he works in this candle industry where they turn old beer cans into candles and we have him here he got you a high noon one and he got me some quote-unquote hipster ipas perfect for our brands. i was gonna say that felt that felt on brand you almost uh, started to drink that this morning i i, I, I might end up just picking it up <laughs> out, out of habit you know Watermelon, fantastic flavor. Probably not my favorite. Pineapple is probably the best, but watermelon's up there. In Dude, terms of big shout flavors. out! Big shout out to Mr. Spurrier. If you guys want to send us some stuff, reach out. The biggest thing we need right now is smelling salts. Though we're low, we're low on salts. Anything medical grade, send those in. Yeah, we just burned through the last one we had in the studio, so I'm gonna have to re up my supply. I'm gonna go have to check in with my dealer, uh, Amazon. Amazon, nice. Yeah. That's a good dealer, uh, Jeffrey Bezos. All right, let's get into this defensive prospects here. We're going to start with defensive tackle. Yes. Um, and no better man to start with than Demarvin Leal. This guy, well, I watched a lot of his tape yesterday. I mean, he's 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 definitely the favorite to be the top defensive tackle off the board. And I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see who's going to unseat this kid. I, I don't think it's close right now. And I know we put out the quote graphic from Seth Galina, friend friend of the pod, mm-hmm. uh, PFF's own college football analyst, who said Kayvon Thibodeau is going to unseat whatever the string of quarterbacks going number one overall mm-hmm. i don't even know if he's gonna be the first overall defensive player drafted cave on thibodeau demarvin wow. wow could be may have a little bit of a more rare skill set a little bit now so he plays demarvin Leo, six foot four 290 and he played mostly edge at texas a&m but like when he's on the interior this guy is going to be i believe on the interior in the nfl like six four 290 is only a sophomore so this guy's gonna get bigger and over his final eight games in 2020, 31 pressures. He has some ridiculous juice, even if you're just comparing him to just edge guys. And he's 6'4", 290. He had this awesome play against North Carolina where he beats, it's like a power uh, RPO. So like you got a mesh point and you got a guard pulling across the formation. He beats the puller and 
uh, all the way to the mesh point and gets to, uh, I believe it's Michael Carter, like right at the handoff point. And just the explosiveness for a guy at his size to be playing off the edge with in a two-point stance on that play is kind of absurd. And like I said, I think he's going to end up as a defensive tackle. I would consider him if I'm like an NFL evaluator. That's just a 290-pounder. Yeah. Those guys are interior players now. And for him to be doing what he did as a sophomore, I, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure that it's set in stone that Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be first defensive uh, whatever off the board. Because there's some, we talked about last year, Mike Parsons, only blue chip defensive player. There's already Leal, Thibodeau, and then we'll get to some other guys that I think are blue chips already Man, in this defensive class. Marvin Leal, already a blue chip player. six foot four, two ninety, plays for Texas A&M, an 88.3 PFF grade this past year. And I think what he really liked down the stretch, I watched a lot of his games down the stretch, LSU, Auburn, Tennessee, North Carolina. This guy was getting better. You saw him developing as a young, true sophomore. 78.4 PFF pass rushing grade against Auburn, 80.1 against Tennessee, and then a 73.8 against North Carolina in the bowl game. Four pressures, three pressures, five pressures. When you're getting pressure like that at his size, the explosiveness, that's what matters. We talk a lot about you know defensive tackles and what, which ones are those blue-chip talents in the NFL. It's these guys that can be three-down players and have the explosiveness to win early in the snap. And that's what you see from Leo as a true sophomore yeah. in the SEC. Like This is this is rare talent, like you said. And it's like, how do you want how do you want to win do you want to win with explosiveness like you mentioned like first step he can do that do you quicks you want you want him to shake you he, he can do that hands he's got that power like length taking a lot of boxes here he really is this dude's a like i said a very a very good dt prospect at this point it's marvin leal texas a&m all right let's jump to jordan davis georgia defensive tackle i can't i think his nickname should be the behemoth six foot six 330 he's like perfect for what georgia wants to do on defense with their dts like we want big monstrous dudes that do not get moved in the run game yeah. and he just doesn't he just doesn't yes he is a specimen this guy like he, he is a big <laughs> dude on a defensive line full of big dudes there at georgia like he stands out just visually from the snap and, and i wrote here in my notes so like a lot of people describe you know the big athletic dts as dancing bears no this this guy's not dancing he's at just the club. a bear he's posted <laughs> up on the corner like that you don't want to fuck with in the club this guy is not dancing he is going right through you and that's all he's trying to do and, and that's kind of the that's kind of also the beauty and the beast of it that was terrible the, like the, the good and the bad with him is that he really has no there's no other yeah there's no secondary outside of just going right through the off the offensive lineman that he's lined up across from his chest that's all he tries to do snap after snap runs a little hot and cold like his ability to play role low at his size the ability to like stay and fire out of a stance is special but it's inconsistent and, and it doesn't show up every snap and, and that's why he comes back to school here even after a fairly solid junior campaign returns to Georgia because it's just not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. The production is not matching. 76.1 overall grade is not matching his physical tools here with Jordan Davis. Yeah, I think as a pass rusher, only 16 pressures in three years there at Georgia on 382 pass rushing snaps. Like, you're not getting a pass rusher in Jordan Davis. He is that two-down, run-stuffing, two-gapping potential defensive tackle in the NFL. Yeah, this this DT class, like, Leal... And then it's not even close, Jordan Davis. Like there's a math, there's a chasm between those two. Uh, after Leal, like the DT class is looking a lot like this past year's DT class. I mean, there's an opportunity for a conversation there in that you know we talk a lot about how the game is changing and why we're seeing so much receiving talent and you know the tight end position. But for defensive tackle over the past two years now, not seeing like these game changing talents. Obviously, Derek Brown a few years back, but like. 
how much of that is that the NFL defensive tackle is is changing? Like the the best defensive tackles in the NFL are lighter, they're faster, they're quicker, it's more explosive. While in college, you're still you're seeing Jordan Davis's coveted. You're seeing guys that can stop the run first more coveted. Do you think that there's a there's a gap between what an elite defensive tackle in college football looks like versus what an elite defensive tackle in the NFL looks like? I honestly think it's more just fluke. Like it's just two years. Like like I said, two years before that, you had. Kinlaw and Brown, then you had Quinn and Williams. Like I think it's kind of just a momentary, just a lull. Yeah, just, just a, a lull. lull in talent. Yeah, Fair that's enough. how I would, I would describe it. Fair enough. All right, uh, Demarvin Leal, by the way, former five star, I think twenty nineteen recruiting class, and for Jordan Davis, former three star from the twenty eighteen recruiting class. Let's go to Jermaine Loyal, and this is a good Lole. tease. I'm talking, huh? Lole. Lole? Is it Lole? Yeah. I apologize. I'm talking to Herm Edwards today, head coach at Arizona State, talking to him about Lole. Make sure I'll say Lole. Um, This past (laughs) year, an 85.9 PFF grade on just 258 snaps. Didn't have an opportunity to play a ton, obviously, with the Pac-12 limited schedule. But, man, there's a lot of excitement around this kid. I was talking to Anthony Tresh, college analyst here at PFF. He likes Lole a lot, and he is one of the the stars on defense for Arizona State. Yes. So, this is at 6-1-3-10, which means he might be scraping six foot. And he might Uh, be, like, 300 flat. No, he's probably about three ten. This guy's a this he's guy a is chonk? a chonk. Yeah, <laughs> we need to come up with some some millennial scouting terms because he's definitely a chonk. Like a, some new age, that is the best way to describe him. He is a leverage demon. You just like can't get underneath. This I like guy. leverage demon. Leverage demon. He, he that's what he is. You're not getting underneath him. He's a plus athlete at that size. Like he moves very well. Very reminiscent of a guy like a Mike Daniels in, in that. NFL doesn't cover the NFL doesn't draft the short armed six foot six one DTs highly. Like Aaron Donald had about as good a tape as you can possibly have, and he still went what 13th, 14th, was it? Um, that just doesn't, they're not gonna cover it. They they prefer DTs to look like Derek Brown than Aaron Donald. So Lola is not gonna get this thing, this isn't gonna be a first round type of guy, but I think you're gonna get a very productive defensive tackle with his like I said, not only that leverage. But he also has one heck of a like, quicks to him. He had a Euro step against the UCLA right guard that he didn't get touched. You don't see often a defensive tackle rep where the offense, opposing offensive lineman does not even make contact with him. There's not a lot of guys that possess that level of quickness at that position. And he didn't even get touched and he didn't even have to swat away the offensive lineman's arms. It was pretty special. So this guy has has that juice that if you are on the side, you got to have to get by. Like it, you do. But I think he has it. 18 pressures in only four games last year. He was pretty impactful for Arizona State. Who is our honorable mention here for the okay. defensive tackles? Is it yeah. DJ Dale? We got Devondre Sweat, Fedarian. Fedarian Mass. I will say it is this guy's a little off the beaten path, and it is Houston defensive tackle Logan Hall. Okay. He is six foot six, 260 pounds only, but he plays three what? tech at Houston, right? So this guy is interesting. Uh, 90.2 pass rush grade this past year. There is a uh, there's a rep where him and uh, what's his face, the guy who just got drafted last year, uh, the Saints for the Saints. Uh, what's his name? I'm losing it. Payne, Payne Turner. Payne Turner. Where him and Payne Turner both beat their opposing offensive lineman, chase the quarterback out right of the pocket. It's Logan Hall who's making up ground faster than Turner. This guy has some explosiveness to him at that size, but obviously like that. Body type, 6'6", 260 is not a traditional – That's just that is too light to play on the interior of the NFL. He's going to have to get bigger. But that, he, that's all he plays. He was not an edge guy this past year. 
and still earn, like I said, 90.2 passers grade. So I'm excited to see what he does here coming into his, he's going to be a senior this upcoming season. Uh, just to highlight some of the names I was mentioning, DJ Dale, former four-star at Alabama, has not played a ton, has not graded super well in PFF system, but a guy to look out for. I think Fedarian Mathis, I think he's from the 2017 recruiting class, but a yeah. former four-star. And then Devondre Sweat. Big boy. Oh, my goodness. Six foot four, 350. Guy is a monster. Again, not one of those Texas types that DJ. maybe isn't, yeah, out of Texas. Wasn't, isn't one of those guys that you're looking at as a an elite pass rusher at the next level. Only 11 pressures this past year. Though a 73.5 pass rushing grade. I do think that when you're looking for those types, and we talked about this a ton ahead of the 2021 NFL draft, when you're looking for those two-gapping monsters, you start to look at day two, day three, Devondre Sweat is when those guys like, hey, man, you know what he's going to do. He's not going to be this. He's going to be this. He's going to be that run-stuffing player. <laughs> um, some interesting defensive tackle types already. Some names to watch as we enter this upcoming season. Shall we get to Kayvon Thibodeau and, and, his, and his boys? Because Kayvon Thibodeau right now, for the edge is, yeah. is number one. It's yes. number one. And would you say the gap between him and the next edge is as big as the gap between Leal and the next and the next defensive no. tackle? No, I don't think so at all. Uh, I, I like this edge class. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be, should these guys all declare, I think we're going to get a pretty solid uh, group here. And Thibodeau's, but Thibodeau is like pretty easily number one on this list. And now this past season, uh, the guy was an Ironman. He played 473 snaps in seven games. Um, almost 70 snaps a game. It just, it just doesn't come off the field. And over his final three games, 23 pressures, like he was really the best player on the field every single game. That's Cal, USC, Iowa State. And it just showed rep after rep. And I was efficiency, took a bit of a hit. So as a true freshman, uh, earned 79.9 pass rushing grade. This past year, only 72.9. But if you just go back and watch the tape, there's a lot of just like schemed nothing reps. He's not getting great opportunities in that not Oregon a lot of true one-on-ones yeah there's not getting great opportunities in that Oregon defense because of just how it's schemed and his role in it and again having to play every single down of every single game but I think in terms of like the annals of PFF edge prospects he's not up there with Chase Young the Bosa's Miles Garrett I wouldn't put him any in that conversation but if you just look back to kind of this time last year we're talking about Greg Rousseau as edge one is a much better prospect than Greg Rousseau. Like much better off the edge, much more flexible, just like much more coordinated, uses hands more consistently, uh, is already exceptional in the run game. This guy's going to be a problem. At 6'5", 250, has that kind of all-encompassing edge body that everyone's looking for. Do you feel like he can enter that conversation or is that ceiling not in Thibodeau's game? I do think some of the concerns I had is that he's just not going to see a lot of high-end tackles on his tape. Like you're not going to see... Thibodeau against some like legit legit tackles in the Pac-12 this upcoming season. Yeah, he's an Ironman, 473 snaps. When you're when you're looking at you know college premium, which you can get on PFF.com if you subscribe to our college subscriptions, and you see players like Kayvon Thibodeau playing 70, 70, 70, like so many snaps. When you're playing 70 snaps a game, that is tough. So the Ironman aspect of it is great, but still, are you going to see a lot of it against top competition? Um, I'm trying to think of the tackles in the Pac-12. Jackson, obviously, I mean, from Washington. Not, not much, but and you got to dominate. And I think he will. I think he'll be fine. But mm -hmm. I, I just don't. Those guys were not only like, those guys were free, all freaks. Both is maybe not as much, but then like uh, out of this world productive and what they did already at that point. Uh, so I, I, I'd put him more in the Bradley Chubb tier of edges that we've oh, seen, wow. which is this guy's going to be very good. I don't think that's a, a debate. It's just I, I'm not ready to crown him. You know, those guys, you just like they were going to be top 10 edge defenders. You yeah. just were in the NFL. You just could see. It's not that 
difficult when you're that high level of athlete and that productive already. But Thibodeau is close. It's close. Cool. All right, let's jump to South Carolina Edge, Kingsley and Agbear. Um, I don't know if I pronounced that right. It could be Ignagbare. I don't know. I We're going to yeah, get I there. Think the latter is Ignagbare. Okay. Ignagbare. Uh, this past grading profile this past year, 89.2 PFF pass rushing grade, 23 total pressures on just 177 pass rushing snaps. Obviously, a limited season with COVID 19, six foot four, 270. I think the pass rushing grade, you see it improve you know, over the past two seasons. And um, you know, uh, a lot of stuff to like, a lot of development, a lot of projection with an Agbare, but still um, some successful stuff this past year. Yeah. And he's, he's a big dude. So he's 6'4, 260 plus. And I think he can still get bigger. So again, that's ideal edge build and the violent, the violence and just like every rep is awesome to watch. He, he plays with his hair on fire, this guy. And that's what, that's what you want. And especially when he's kind of a bull in China shop, it just reminds me a lot of, reminds me a lot of actually Peyton Turner, where it's like, this guy has the things you want, but he's not quite there. I'm going to be higher on Eggbury because he's only a junior going up against, you know, SEC competition and earns an 89.2 pass rushing grade where he's not quite there yet, yeah. which means his physical tools are off the charts, this guy with the way he can play, um, but just isn't quite there yet. And that's why I think he comes back this this past season because he would have been late first, early second if he comes out as a true junior. And obviously having only played 384 snaps and this was a breakout year, he comes back, he can be a top 10 pick. This guy has top 10 physical wow. tools. He is a... I wrote down quarterback hunter here. He hunts when he's like in space. The guy can fly. So I'm a fan of his game. And it, another guy that, like I said, could be, it could be multiple guys in this class that are better than have a higher grade than anyone we had in this past year. Yeah, last year's class void of, you know, top-end blue-chip defensive talent. This yeah. year's class sound like we have some pass rushers, which a lot of teams are going to flock to. You know, we had this past year – the pass rushing class in 2020 or 2021, everyone's like, I don't know which guy you want. You know, you don't want to be the first team to take the edge because so much of it is projection with Quiddy Pay and Jalen Phillips mm -hmm. and a lot of risk here. It sounds like, you know, already having Thibodeau and then in Nagbare uh, for South Carolina. And let's jump to Nick Benito, a guy that I think if we, people talked about, you know, potentially coming out in the 2021 NFL draft, decides to return to school after what was an mm -hmm. absolute breakout season for the kid. 93.6 PFF pass rushing grade there at Oklahoma, six foot three, 240, 49 total pressures. Um, down the stretch there, eight pressures against Kansas, six against Oklahoma State, five against Iowa State, five against Florida. Guy's really turning it on, man. I think um, had some conversations with his agent as well. There are high expectations for Benito this upcoming season. I think he's going to be a guy that will probably be on this podcast in the, as we prepare for the 2022 NFL draft and one of those guys that PFF will maybe like more than others considering the grading profile and those things. Yeah, he understands rush pacing so well. Just watching his tape, he He's always playing off opposing offensive tackles and always kind of making them wrong. And it's because he's quick and, like I said, has that understanding of how to win. It's my, and for my money, he has one of the best Euro steps as a pass rusher I've seen in college football. Like he, he clowned Stone Forsyth, the Florida tackle. Yeah. That the we, tall, weird body. Yeah. The 6'9, yeah. 3'10, whatever. That we said gave Aziz Ojolari fits. Like Aziz Ojolari had his worst game against Stone Forsyth of any tackle he faced this past year so in foresight in that grade 43 in that game the bowl game 43.7 pass blocking grade and that's because of nick benito five pressures from nick benito in that game he was uh doing some dirty things to him and that's <laughs> like forklift or <laughs> <laughs> not that dirty uh but no foresight uh like that 
that's that's sunk for a lot of his draft stock because you watch that game and you're just like damn yeah that's gonna be an issue when you deal, deal with speed like that and the, the worry with benito he said you already touched on six three two forty and i don't think he's he's not brian burns uh, brian speed. burns was yeah, yeah he's not that caliber of an athlete he's six three two forty and probably gonna run like a four six five and you worry about that being like a zach bond-esque then oh that's a good sort of prospect where it's like that just you're gonna have to have a plan b and does he have a plan B? And now you see bull rushes on his tape at the college level. Like I, I, I think he can get there. I think if he adds, really good add, decision to return to school. Yes, like, it, but he needs to continue to put on some muscle. And the interesting thing was, so he showed up at Oklahoma in the two fifties, and he's already cut down to get to two forty. Uh, so I'd be curious to see if he can get his sort of like. Obviously, that's you're probably cutting out bad weight when you do stuff like that at the college level. But I'd be interested to see if he can continue to put on muscle to get to the two. High 240 range and maintain his explosiveness. Producer Dave, let's see if we can get Benito on the Benito on the podcast maybe before the season. See where his weight's at. See where his mentality's at. I kind of like this as a as a PFF guy to get ahead of. Um, jumping to your honorable mention here, where are we heading? My wild card in the edge class is it Adam? Guy, I'm looking. You know who it is? Yeah, <laughs> Adam Anderson from Georgia. 130 snaps this past season. Only 85 pass rushing snaps. 23 pressures on 85 pass rushing snaps. He's got. Just explosiveness for days. This is a former five-star. Can't see the field there at Georgia because I'm guessing he could give a damn about run defense. I mean, six foot five, two twenty-five. Yeah, he's got an interesting build. It's kind of opposite of what they asked. Like, this is not John Ledbetter. This isn't Jordan Davis. This isn't their yeah. big boys. You know, even Azizo Jolari, who was what two fifty in that two fifty range. Mm-hmm. Like his willingness to play the run was a lot different than some of these other guys. And so he's got a ways to go. Like the frame, he's got a frame to get to two fifty. Like he does. He, just has wide ass shoulders and long arms for that size. Don't know why he hasn't, why he's still at 225 pounds, but you see him bull rushing guys. He is explosive as hell at that size. Even you know, like his first step was, I think I said on the pod before, better than Aziz Ojolari's. I'm like watching them one-on-one and I'm like, who is this guy that's beaten Aziz Ojolari up the football field? Against Cincinnati, he had eight pressures on 11 pass rushing snaps, Anderson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's Cincinnati, though, is also going through yes. some woes along the offensive yeah. line, but still. But, like, when he faces a guy who cannot deal with the speed, it's just, it's over. You're getting toasted. So, special uh, special athlete. Just curious to see, like, what he ends up doing. Like, he's got to find the field, man. You can't, you cannot yeah. be playing only 100, 130 snaps as a true junior at Georgia as a former five-star. Like, let's let's see the field. So, breakout I mean? candidate here. And guy, like I said. That's your, it's your wild card, fun to watch, whatever yeah. prospect in this edge class. I know producer Dave is working to get Kirby, Kirby Smart on the podcast. We get Kirby on. I can see, I can see what Adam Anderson gets up to. Yeah. Uh, my, my wild card is going to mention because we got Clay Hilton on this podcast and he talks a ton about Drake Jackson, a guy that he says he has not had a difference making defensive tackle like Drake Ooh. Jackson since Leonard Williams. Oh, shots fired at fucking Jay Tufele and well, I mean, he said he, he said he said there's hey, there's guys, certain players guys suck. Hey, that's, that's what he, not, just said. he didn't say that. You know, you need to, you're putting words in Helton's mouth. He said, <laughs> right you know, their opponent opposing offense coordinators are game planning for Leonard Williams, or were game planning for Leonard Williams, and that's yeah. Drake Jackson's the same type of guy. Six four four, two fifty five. Did not grade super well this past year. Only a seventy one PFF uh, overall grade, but still, uh, I think he's a what former four star, former five star there for USC. A guy to watch. If you thought you could season. have Clay Helton on the podcast, and I wasn't going to talk some shit. You just were true because you're just a USC hater, man. You need to stop. Notre Dame hasn't won shit. Okay, everyone's like, everyone's like, Notre, oh Notre Dame gets auto bids into the playoff because more people will watch. Yeah, when go. they go undefeated. Wait till they get into the twelve team playoff. You saw that being proposed. 
proposed for 2023, 12-team playoff, and Notre Dame's like the two seed and got to play like any good football team. They're going to get rocked. They're just going to get rocked. All right, anyway, uh, linebacker. People ask if they didn't lose to the national championship <laughs> every time they've been in the playoff or the national championship game. It's true. It's true. San Diego State's on the rise. Anyway, uh, let's go linebacker here. Give us your start. Wait, before you do, let's pay some bills here. Western, Southern bills. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western, Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western, Southern Finance Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Let's jump now to the linebacker position. Yes, let us. We're going to kick it off with... Another, did we just have, end with the Georgia guy? Yeah, we did. Georgia's got Another some talent. Georgia, boy. Georgia does, dude. And they got transfers coming in that we'll talk about uh, a little later when we get to the cornerback class. Who, wait, who else did they all have transferring? I think they had a handful of guys. Oh, the, yeah, that other cornerback just transferred over. Let me, so let they me. They got Tyke Smith, that yeah. transferred in safety that we'll talk about. And then they have um, the Clemson guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Darion Kendrick. No, yeah, no. Darion Kendrick. Darion Kendrick. There you go. Former five star wide receiver. Yeah, so they got some dudes coming out of defense and they already have some dudes jt daniels under center i'm starting to get a little interested i'm not as interested about that but (laughs) nicobe dean the linebacker for them uh ended up taking monty rice's job third round pick last year monty rice third round pick even though he didn't even i think it was third round pick in the third round yeah didn't even start was a backup because of this dude kobe dean um who is a he's an explosive six foot 220 pounder but at no point am I like this guy's on this guy's too small. Like at he's kind of the he's like if Jeremiah was Koromoa got to play between the tackles and got to take on blocks, I think it would look like what Nicobe Dean did this past year. Um excellent run defender. There he will meet a offensive tackle, a pulling guard, whatever in the hole with bad intentions. He will stack and shed, even though again, six foot two twenty. That's undersized, and, and like the length is not going to be what you ideally would want. But man, he's—I'm not sure it really matters with the way he plays football. Like he had one of the coolest plays I've seen from any, or the coolest play I've seen yet from any of these linebackers, which was he is backside here. He's he is backside linebacker uh, on an inside zone run, and the running back bounces it front side, and he chases him down. From a straight line, which like thinking about that, that is an impossible play to make. And he does not like run towards his own goal line. He runs in a straight line towards the sideline and chases down a linebacker who bounced or the running back who bounces out front side. It was his explosiveness and speed is pretty legit. And you see it repeatedly on his tape. Like going to the flat, he makes up ground on every single running back I saw. So this guy has it's reminded me a lot of like Devin Bush's tape mm-hmm. at Michigan, where she's like the sideline to sideline, which is yeah. nuts. It, it really is insane. Now, coverage grade of 54.2 this past year, linebackers were under siege in the SEC with Florida's offense, where he was just put in a disaster of a situation in coverage repeatedly. He's also on, like, super wheel young. routes and stuff. True sophomore this past year yeah. from the 2019 recruiting class, a former five star. I mean, he's got the athleticism, the speed, the explosiveness, the fact yeah. that he's playing snaps ahead of Monty Rice at that young. Yeah. I do think speaks to just how like talented he is. I think you, you know, the length is going to be interesting. If he's listed at six foot, maybe he comes in at five foot 11. You want to see him add some weight there at 220, even though, you know, NFL linebackers are playing close to that weight. If you're going to be short, you're going to want to probably add some weight and still maintain that speed. It'll be interesting to see yeah. the project that is mm-hmm. the Kobe Dean as we kind of press forward here. Um, Christian Harris, Alabama linebacker true junior i think it's another former five star let me double check 
probably. That's yeah, I mean, Alabama. he's a yeah. he no, former four star, former oh. four star, 2019 recruiting class. But he's so 6'2, 232, a little bit more prototypical body type for a linebacker. They're close, him and Dean, I, I think, at the top of this linebacker class. I like both of them. I think both probably ultimately end up in the first round conversation. They're, they are talented, talented athletes. Um, you, you just see it, him with Dylan Moses on the same, in the same like linebacker core, just how much more active his feet are, just how much quicker he is to process things. And just the play speed was night and day. And Dylan Moses is fantastic in his own, fantastic athlete in his own right. But like Christian Harris looks more, and that's why we're always low on Moses. Like, I don't care about the high end athleticism when it's that level of just behind the eight ball from a processing standpoint. I don't feel that way about Harris. Um, he, he is exceptional at taking on blocks and keeping himself clean, but he's not the traditional, he's not like Dean where he's playing physical. He's just, he's kind of swiping left and right. And I think that's the biggest difference to me is that Dean wants to hit, hit Harris, uh, not to say he doesn't want to hit, but you just didn't see that as much on his tape. That physicality shedding blocks and stuff, but in terms of yeah, like approaching tackles. the tackle, he still has, oh, yeah. Oh, still yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's still for sure as a hitter. All right, last one here. Former Clemson linebacker transferred to LSU. Mike Jones Jr. Uh, War number six for Clemson at a, a 90.2 PFF grade uh, coverage grade in 2020. Six foot, 220 in that same kind of mold as Nicobe <laughs> Dean. Your thoughts on Mike Jones? So I wrote down here, finesse linebacker. And he played overhang at Clemson. And I think he transferred to LSU because I think he wanted to play actual linebacker. Because Clemson's defense. I, I, the amoeba. He was, yeah, he was not going to change roles. And that's... It's just not as good for your draft projection to not do things that you're going to be drafted doing. So mm -hmm. he has it, though, from a movement skills perspective, that just ability to mirror a wide receiver in the flat or to flip your hips and just run with a running back on a wheel route. Like He's got that. That, that, that level of smoothness is there. But again, played a very limited role where he's not really involved in a lot other than coverage. He's not taking a role in run defense at Clemson and he was kind of a disastrous tackler. He had a lot of, slipped off a lot of tackles this past year. 13 missed tackles on uh 35 attempts is not a good rate. That's, that's, that's also that's a finesse rate if anything. That's a finesse linebacker <laughs> rate. Exactly. So, he will be Mike Jones. He'll obviously get a a different role this upcoming season at LSU, but and then obviously then his draft stock will depend a lot on this upcoming season, but I'm still either way like with the level of athlete he is, I'm. I think he's going to be a fairly highly drafted guy. Fourth round, I'd say, is probably his floor. A common theme with these linebacker prospects: good athlete, got to have, got to have athleticism at the linebacker position. Now, I think I was talking to, I was on a podcast recently, and they're asking about you know how much that position is changing, and, and some of the linebacker. What, what's a linebacker you would take over the next ten years? And you know, part of me, you know, for, I think I said. Um, Fred Warner first. Fred Warner being probably the best young linebacker in the NFL right now. But after that, it's like Micah Parsons, Devin White, uh, you know, like Isaiah Simmons. Like I want these athletes. I want these guys that are young and these guys that can move because, um, you know, that's where the NFL is going, man. Because they are getting picked on. Devin White, one of the most athletic linebackers in the NFL, was targeted 106 times last year. You are getting picked on at linebacker. If you are playing linebacker and you're in that off-ball coverage, you are going to see a lot of targets come your way. You need to make up ground. You know, Chris Ballard says it best, and you're playing behind on defense. You're always behind the eight ball reactive to the offensive plays if your linebackers are slow it's going to show up i mean the raiders have seen that for the past like 15 years like if your linebackers aren't athletes it's going to be a grind so i do i definitely think that common theme when we're talking about linebacker prospects will be can they move you got to have movement skills sideline sideline range all right who is our honorable mention here wild card in this linebacker class is none other than buffalo's Gaddafi. Gaddafi right 
This guy, so he, he's 6'3", 230, pretty long dude, 84.3 coverage grade in 2019, 90.4 coverage grade this past year. And, and so to have that kind of coverage grade playing, like I said, 230 pounds playing basically a glorified slot is impressive. And he can, this guy can run. This guy can fly. And he's a little bit, plays a little high. Um you see a little clunkiness to him. And again, he does not really take on blocks or do any of the linebacker things. But again, 6'3", 230 with some good length for the position that can fly is a good starting point. And already with his level of production, I'm just excited to see. He's going to be a redshirt senior this upcoming season, which I like. I don't know how the the pandemic fucked up a lot of like designations from the 2016 he's a, class he's a fifth he's going to be a fifth year yeah he's from the 2016 yeah. recruiting class was a no-star recruit buffalo is probably the biggest school that offered him he had six offers total coastal carolina delaware state james madison so he's gonna be old he's gonna be old he's an older prospect but, but guess what weight he showed up to buffalo at Ooh, uh 195 182 yowza he's added some beef 230. Yeah. If he's listed at 230, if he's actually up to a full 230 and is adding more weight at six foot two or whatever he's listed at at Buffalo, six foot three. He's listed at six foot two back then. But still, man, that's that's interesting. Adding a ton of weight like that. Former no star recruit was a two star composite according to 24-7 sports. Gaddafi Wright. Not not the four star, five star guys we were talking about before. Yeah. But an interesting watch for Buffalo, older prospect. All right. Before we jump forward here, I need to let you guys know about the stock market for sports. PFF has partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts, and the NFL free agency is still going. So whoever lands a top of the market player will be sure to see their team stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. Hell yeah. We are onto the defensive backs. This cornerback class is going to be sick. This quarterback class so 2022 good. is going to be freaking awesome, starting with none other than Derek Stingley Jr., former five-star for LSU, a guy that is a true freshman was one of the highest, no, the highest-graded quarterback in college football. The highest-graded quarterback co- quarterback in college football was a true freshman, Derek Stingley, I think in 2019. Yep. Battled injuries this past year, but man, he is a rare athlete. His understanding of the position, as young as he was in 2019 and still now, is just absurd. It'll be tough to see some of these other guys unseat him as the top cornerback in this class. Yeah, and it's a ridiculous cornerback class. It truly is already. Like making the cut down to three, I was like, Damn, I'm cutting some stuff like, like first round type of pro- dudes already that I see it on their tape. But Stingley even still pretty much stands out head and shoulders because he is he's a next level athlete. He, he is that uber all around, doesn't matter, he can do it sort of guy. 6'1", 195, so already like good size. Not not Patrick Peterson, not Caleb Farley maybe size, but 6'1", 195 is, is ideal. And legit four three, like low four threes. If he broke into the four twos, I would not be surprised. He has that caliber of just juice. And even stand from a standstill, breaking on stuff, it shows wherever he is. And the biggest thing about Stingley, and why it's like you can put him head and shoulders above this cornerback class is they play press man at LSU. They played more press man than anyone else in the country in 2019. Played a lot of even this past year and a 40.3 completion percentage against for his career. 40.3, like he just 20 pass breakups in like a season and a half, 
six six picks in like a season and a half. That's he is, yeah, he's awesome. The guy's awesome. He's top five pick. Man, I was on a podcast recently with Fran Duffy, who has that filled. He works with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's the Eye in the Sky podcast, I think, or the Journey to the Draft yeah, podcast. And I do think that something he bring, brought up, we talked a lot about like what translates to the NFL. What do you look for? What stats do you look for at the cornerback position? Ball production is one. You know, Dane Brugler like swears by it. Like get your hands on the football, picks, PBUs. That's what translates to the NFL. The other thing too, though, and you brought it up, is snaps. Like if you play a ton of press man at the collegiate level, you're going to approach the NFL with a lot more experience in NFL caliber yeah. concepts. And Derek Stingley has that by a lot. And I do think that, man, I'm excited to see him healthy. That was the biggest thing because you saw multiple times last year where he just didn't look healthy. And I think he's had comments about that. You've watched some of his press conferences. He needs to get fully healthy. He needs a full off season. We need people in the stands, baby. We need this thing to be normal because I think Derek Stingley, man, in a normal year, I mean, yeah. this is a legit tier one blue chip type of player. All right, number two here, you have Kyer Elam. I think he's another former four-star, five-star player uh, recruit for Florida. They are a guy who's graded really well. Very few yards allowed in Florida system. Kyer Elam, give it to me. 6'2", 193, and he is he has that perfect blend of being physical without really taking advantage of the college rules and just like trying to bully kids who number three on this list will get to takes advantage of the college rules. We'll, we'll just we'll <laughs> he's do a little a, tease he's right a, there. These are maybe the most absurdly go ahead, go ahead. physical. We'll get to that one in a sec, but Elam, that perfect blend, very physical at the catch point this past season, nine pass breakups, two picks, um, on 54 targets, first career, only 42.9 completion percentage allowed. Honestly, just in terms of how well they play the cornerback position at this point, I'm not sure he's like too far off from Derek Stingley. Stingley's just on another level athletically, though, from mm -hmm. Elam. Elam's a good athlete, not an exceptional athlete, but he is big physical and already so steady and sees the game at such a high level. You can see the tape study on his film again and again. Go back to the Tennessee tape from this past year against Josh Palmer. And, man, he gave Palmer more trouble than Sertan gave Palmer. Like he was – he fared better in that game. Three targets, one catch, nine yards. Uh, had a PBU against Palmer and another one that was it. Didn't go down as a PBU, but he definitely broke it up. He cut Palmer off on his route. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's a lot to like about Elam, and his game is definitely NFL translatable uh, with – as well as he's played 89.8 coverage grades, true freshman, 81.0 this past year. Yeah, young player, another young player that's entering what his true junior, true junior year there. Yeah, all these Florida. guys. Former has a list. deep track background too. He played, he ran a ton of track in high school. I remember looking at that when we were preparing for potentially entering a, a sooner or not entering a sooner draft class, but looking at some young breakout candidates, that's for sure. Kair Elam. This next player, man, this entire city is around him. University oh, yeah. of Cincinnati cornerback Ahmad Garner. I think he goes by Sauce. It's Ahmad Sauce Garner. We're going to try and get him on the podcast. Him and Maje Sanders, who we didn't bring up with the edge defenders, but man, I like him a lot too. He isn't, mm. I think that's a firmly a day two type of player that can potentially vault into the top 50 with a really good season. He needs to be the best edge defender in the American Athletic Conference. You know, people talk about Desmond Ritter, Ahmad Garner, Maje Sanders, these three you know, potential 2022 draft prospects. Go out there and be the best. Go out there and be the best in that conference because um, you're more than capable of doing it. But Ahmad Garner, not to steal the thunder, but man, his grading has been fantastic. His advanced coverage metrics, yards per, yards allowed per coverage snap, yards per target, pass rating when targeted, all these things. He's been dominating, and he's a physical dude, man. This guy plays This guy plays mean, and you see it show up. Yeah, physical. I'm not sure I've seen a guy play as physical as him or like, attempt to bully people as much as he does. And like I said, utilize the lack of illegal contact penalties as much as he does. And, and it's also like kind of unfair because the receivers he's going to get up against, they have no recourse. Yeah. Like they, 
they have they, they're not athletic enough to get off of him. And so uh seven seven penalties this past year, nine games. That's crazy. <laughs> like that is absurd for a cornerback in college football. It just doesn't happen. Um but it does with Gardner because of the how way many non called though? How many penalties weren't right. called? You know? and, and if that was the NFL, he would be uh it'd be triple that like, easily. It, but he is long as I'd hell. rather have that. So let's have that conversation. We yeah. talk a lot about the Georgia guys that get their hands on players. Mm-hmm. I mean, DeAndre Baker, Stokes would get physical with guys sometimes or try and catch guys. You know, you, you bring that up, catch guys when you're playing off coverage and as soon as they start to blow by you, you put your hands on them because you can catch do that. You know, would you rather have an Ahmad Gardner who is probably going to get flagged a little bit and you're going to have to find, try and tone down the NFL or a guy that's, you know, a little bit softer, maybe a Fatu Melifonwu, who a guy's not going to touch well, I'd rather much. have Kyrie Elam, who does it perfectly. Oh, shut yeah. up. <laughs> but, shut up. I'm saying between the two. Between you know, the two, yeah. tone it down, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of guys who sucked in the NFL because of penalties. Well, I'd rather have Jalen Ramsey, actually, so yeah. that would actually be better. That's my Trevor Lawrence in the third. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can go Trevor Lawrence in the third. <laughs> just, but Ahmad Gardner... Super, he looks like he's got the pterodactyl build. He, he is absurdly long uh, for a corner, 6'2", 188. A little skinny still, but my uh, my buddy was sending me workout videos of him. I'm like, dude, I don't really care to watch this workout. He's like, dude, no, he's getting bigger. Like, he's going to be – he knows that I think he's skinny. He's like, no, no, he's going to get he's gonna get there. And I'm like, yeah, he probably will. Like, he probably will, 6'2", 188. He'll probably workout get videos are probably the, the tamest DM you get these days, though, <laughs> to be fair. 6'2", 188. He's going to probably get it up to like 195. Uh, maybe in the 200 range by the time he comes out. But again, you can't teach his physicality and you can't teach the hips he has for a corner his height. And I think that's the biggest thing that got me on board with him is even when he doesn't get that super clean jam or isn't like super in your hip pocket, he still has a recourse. And a lot of tall corners don't. A lot of tall corners rely on that. Like the Israel Mukuamas of the world rely on contact to stick with wide receivers. I don't think Ahmad Gardner necessarily needs that and in Cincinnati's defense, he's played a lot of press man, too. He's done a lot of things that you're going to do in the NFL. So I think very projectable. And again, for him to be as good as he was, true freshman, true sophomore, he's a dude. Yep. 41% completion percentage allowed over two years, 40 receptions on 98 targets, and just a 35.3 passer rating allowed into his coverage over two years at the University of Cincinnati. But the more I look at the, the biggest stat, man, he's got 12 penalties on only 98 targets. That's insane. A bigger than ten percent rate. Uh, oh my gosh, that yeah. guy is cruising. He is oh, yeah. a bully ball. That's uh, that's gonna be. I mean, hashtag fun to watch. I'm all for those guys. So yeah. in college, I want. I like. The, I mean, I remember loving watching DeAndre Baker play in college. Those guys that really rough you up like that. I think are uh, hashtag fun to watch. All right, uh, who is your honorable mention here, and why is it Andrew Booth? It is Andrew Booth from Clemson, a rising junior, or I guess he might be a redshirt sophomore, who only has 400 snaps to his name. 219 career coverage snaps. But he might have the best pure feet of any cornerback in this draft class. And, and you know you know my feelings about feet and feet. cornerback positions. It's Rex Ryan-esque in my love <laughs> for the ability to just stay on balance. That's a, it's a big part of not getting completely out of position because you have clunky feet because you can't stay uh, in phase and can't be going where you want to go. I think he has exceptional feet, exceptional hips. Um, just need to see more of them. Again, 219 cover snaps is not enough to know that this guy is going to be, you know, a top flight cornerback in the NFL. So that's my kind of wild card in this cornerback class. I think he very well could get there. He could break into the top two here. He, he could get, he could be CB two with how, like I said, how his moving skills 
will will and should translate to the NFL, but it's just needs to see more. We don't kink shame here on two for one drafts. Yeah, you dude, know, I'm all in. If you're you're all in on get, the feet. You're yeah. all in on the feet. You're also in on balance. Balance is something you bring up a ton with a lot of balance. different positions. Um, Andrew Booth this past year, 72.1 PFF coverage grade, only played 192 coverage snaps, um, allowed 14 receptions from 29 targets, a 59.6 passer rating win target. Rising junior there, six foot, 195. Now on to safeties where we can talk about your guy. I'm not going to let you spend too much time on him. Oh. I'm not going to let you spend too much time on him, but he is, man, I remember when you first pointed him out, I think it was the first couple games of the season. We're watching him out. I don't remember where we were watching him, but um, he stands out, man. That when you had when you're standing out on that defense too, and in every game he played, you saw him show up. Kyle Hamilton, uh, junior safety there, six foot four, two twenty for Notre Dame. Oh my goodness! They ask him to do a lot there. He plays a lot of different positions. Yeah. He's he's asked to do a lot of different coverage, you know, responsibilities. But dude, he absolutely shows up. And I still think you saw in the progression of the season him get better down the stretch. And man, this upcoming year is going to be freaking sick. He's. He's rare. He's a rare dude. Rare athlete. He's at 6'4", 220. And he, I think he's like what people wanted Isaiah Simmons to be. Like Isaiah Simmons, I think, is going to have to be for his career around the line of scrimmage in the NFL. I don't think he was ever going to be a guy who could, you know, if you want him to line up on, do not to bring back like Rex Ryan, but like Rex Ryan would line up guys on the line of scrimmage, <laughs> then have him fly back to middle of the field safety. And Isaiah Simmons, you know, physically can maybe do that, but I don't think he's going to be an impact player in a role of something like that. I think Hamilton could. I, I think Hamilton can be a Derwin James type of role where it's just, hey, ask him to do whatever Anything. the defense needs at that given time, and he can get it done. Like There's a rep against Louisville this past year, 2-2 Atwell. He is playing uh, off safety. He's kind of, kind of the guy rolling down in like an off cover three. So he's not the, not the deep safety cover three in the middle guy. He's the guy kind of rolling down. And Tutu runs a dig against him. Flat-footed safety going to dig against Tutu Atwell, who is, you know, second-round type NFL wide receiver, known for his speed and athleticism. That should be a W if you're a six foot four, 220-pound safety. Not only does Hamilton mirror him on the route, he gets all the way around him and breaks up the dig route. Like that is special ability from a safety. I don't care if you're 5'10, 190. But then again, he has the length and the size to not only be like I said, in guys' hip pockets, but then break up at the catch point because he's bigger than the guys he's going up yeah. against. He's bigger than slot wide receivers. He's going to be bigger than most wide receivers he faces. So, yeah, he's got a very unique – ooh, I did it. Just a unique skill set. Can't modify unique. And is very uh, – just special. Like I said, a rare dude. I mean, played over 400 snaps as a true freshman there at Notre Dame, an 89.4 coverage grade that season. And this past year, 580 defensive snaps played on the shortened season. Any concerns with the missed tackles, man? That rate scares me. 15.5% for you know, missed tackles. Where's your mind there? No, he because he is very aggressive. Yeah. Like That stems from him. I mean, you saw that on the dig. You see that, on when you look at his pass breakups, talk about aggressiveness. 11 pass breakups over the past two years at safety, which yeah. is impressive. Ball That's production good. there is impressive. He is aggressive. He goes chase those things. He had four picks as a true freshman at Notre Dame. Like He is aggressive, but I think that also shows up as a tackler. Yeah, the tackling is more because it goes back to like the him getting kicked out of the UNC game. He's not he's not like stammering his feet and letting you run through him. He's running through you first. So so he will miss tackles and it's because he is a very aggressive down when he is coming downhill and that's when he misses his tackles. On to the Bama defensive back Jordan. Uh, well, just a quick aside. Go ahead. Blue chip players. Him, Stingley, Thibodeau, Leo. Man, at every got position. Four already. You had I one last year. 
one last year. I think we got four already this year that I would say. Those and you like Kingsley players. a lot. I mean, yeah. that's another guy. And, and there are other guys than Kingsley and Egbury uh, and Kyer Elam that are, and this actually this next guy at safety, who are not far off. Jordan Battle. Jordan Battle, Alabama, Alabama safety. safety. Six foot one, two ten. Uh, played over 800 snaps this past season and 81.5 PFF coverage grade on the year. Three pass breakups and a pick. Battle, I remember watching a ton of Sertan last year and every single time coming away and saying, who is number nine? Who is this guy? He is making moves. And I think you say that every time you watch Alabama tape. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone's like, oh, man, I was watching this guy. And then this guy showed up. I remember same thing happens at the linebacker position along the defensive line. There's always that next guy at Alabama. And Jordan Battle, six foot one, two ten safety. Buddy, this is a guy to watch. Yeah. And so if if Hamilton didn't exist, we'd probably be talking about Battle as one of the better safety prospects in recent memory. Wow. Instead, we're talking Hamilton. Like, probably the best, who's probably the best safety prospect since, like, Jordan, uh, or excuse me, Derwin James. And that, that was the 18 draft. So, the last two drafts, this guy, I had already put him in the first round conversation. Not a lot of safeties get into that first round conversation. Uh, I think, so he started games as a true freshman, a few back in 2019. And towards the second half of 2020, you just saw the light switch flip. He is a just all around complete athlete, whether it's speed explosiveness hips just that kind of whatever you want him to do he can do you saw him you know playing man against the slot at times and he played a lot he played a lot of positions yeah the guy the guy could he could go one-on-one and he looked like a cornerback when he did so he's super willing into blocks too like he he plays a physical game he's not just a deep safety he can do whatever you kind of ask him to do i think the biggest worry i saw on his tape consistently was that he comes in a little high to tackles he's not as wrap up like he's not may not be even at six one two ten your box guy at safety which i'm not too worried about that's not necessarily where i want my safeties anyway but yes jordan battle is a very is a very talented prospect in his own right not quite blue chip but again he's kind of on that edge right now of maybe he could get there this past season 243 snaps played in the box 180 at slot corner and then 377 at deep safety for alabama next guy on this list penn state's jaquan brisker six foot one 212 eligible for this year's draft i think he's what a senior coming up on his senior yep. season or redshirt junior i believe but redshirt junior gotcha yes. um only missed one tackle this past year that's what stood out for me mm-hmm. uh looking at his grading profile it's 82.8 pff grade over 450 snaps talk to me more about jaquan brisker yeah, so two years of starter now, 85.4 coverage grade 2019, 77.8 this past year. Tremendous tackler, consistently physical player. That's the thing I wrote down is just whether it's taking on blocks, whether it's, you know, seeing a crosser and then collisioning the crosser or uh, whether it's at the catch point. I just think this guy plays a physical brand of football that's going to translate to the NFL. Then five pass breakups this past year, a pick in, again, you know, limited time with the shortened Big Ten season. I thought he could have come out and been towards the top mix of the safety class but glad to see him come back to school i think he can push his draft stock up even higher he's not the athlete that battle is i don't think not the athlete that hamilton is but he's more than good enough athlete in his own right to play in the nfl to me he reminds me a lot of just stylistically how he goes about his business adrian amos now not the same school scout but former penn state safety adrian amos and the way he plays in the nfl that's just kind of what i see in brisker in that you're not going to th- look at him and athletically be like, oh, yeah, that guy can play deep safety. He can guard you know, slots down the field. But, but then he gets the job done. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think he can. Um, so I, I kind of like the top of the safety class. I think it's a good class. 
Your honorable mention is Tyke Smith, transfer from West Virginia to Georgia, five foot ten, two hundred. Played the box slot role for West Virginia this past year, two hundred seven snaps in the box, and then three thirty three in the slot. How do you imagine him fitting into Georgia? Yeah, Tyke Smith's he's going to be interesting because he's five listed at five ten, two hundred, mm-hmm. which is already a, it's a running back, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. five ten means probably five nine, and so he's got a unique build. And he is, he played just the slot basically for West Virginia. And so I'm curious to see where he fills a role in Georgia. Uh, obviously, they lost safety this past year. He could fill in there. And I list him at safety because I think slots are more akin to safeties than they are outside cornerbacks. But man, at 5'10, five, five, 200, like he blew up so many screens. Yeah. He would just kill wide receivers on screen blocks. A very physical, physical dude, and he got involved in the run game too at that size, which you know a lot of the slot guys, a lot of those overhand guys just won't kind of like let that be until a run really bounces out wide. But no, he was trying to go in and make plays. So a, a lot to like on his tape, and again, this year will be massive for his sort of eval because he's beat SEC Georgia defense. That's going to be doing like said NFL things, and if he is playing, he's only a true team. junior too, right? Uh, I'm actually not sure about that one. I think he is a true junior. He's part of the 2019 recruiting class. Well, then he um, will be. Yep, true junior. For over 500 snaps over the past two years for West Virginia. Played over 500 snaps as a true freshman and 89.7 coverage grade for West Virginia. Playing a lot of the slot there. That's tough, man. When you're playing a lot of the slot to grade as well as he did, you're breaking up a ton of passes. You're up and down the line of scrimmage. Like you said, blowing up screens. I'm excited to see how he fits into Georgia as well. Man, that is going to do it. We covered some ground there. Three defensive prospects and an honorable mention for the 2022 NFL draft. I think someone made a note in the YouTube comment saying, none of this matters. Everything's going to change. That's true. So a lot of this is going to change. The rankings are going to change. But we want to approach the season with some players to watch here, man. You got to yeah. dive in. You got to like highlight some guys. Got to highlight some guys. Yeah. But uh, without further ado, let's go who's ahead. fun to watch. Yeah, you got to know who's fun to watch. All right. Uh, without further ado, we have to jump now to the interview I did with USC head coach Clay Helton. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is current USC head coach Clay Helton. Really appreciate you coming on, man. I'm jealous. I am jealous. I'm a California kid stuck here in Cincinnati. Seeing that weather behind you right now, I'm sure it's what? What are the degrees? Talk, talk to me about the weather there in USC right now. Well, you know, Austin, it's 75 here every day. There's, there's, not, there's not a bad day. Low cool in the morning, warms up to 75 in the afternoon, and and it's paradise. Absolutely incredible. Be my 12th season, and I – I thank God every day. I'm coaching in the Walt Disney World for coaches right now. That's incredible. Yeah, so I'm from Oakland, but went to San Diego State. I know what sunny and 75 feels like now stuck here in Cincinnati. I'm glad you brought it up. Twelve, Going to be your 12th year now at USC. I think you're, what, born in Florida, Florida kid, went to high school in Texas, but now finally in Southern California, where everyone aims to be finally there. Where I'd like to start, man, is honestly some of the coaches you've worked with. You know, in the 11 years at USC, you've had some opportunities to work with Lane Kiffin, Ed Ogeron, Steve Sarkeesian. Talk to me specifically about Lane first, a guy that I'm a huge fan of. I've, I've followed him for a very long time. What are some mm-hmm. of the principles or some of the philosophies that you feel like you took from or learned from Lane, obviously before taking on the head coach gig at USC? Yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate in my time here because when you say those two names right there in Coach Kiffin and Coach Sarkeesian, those are two most brilliant offensive-minded people that I've been around in my career. I just, I think one, both both guys are extremely innovative. They're different in their play calling. But I, I think both are so ultra productive. In Lane's case, I, it, it's a lot like watching a 
guy play a video game. It, it's in slow motion. <laughs> it, it, was, it was neat as a guy that had been a play caller uh, at the University of Memphis and had been an offensive coordinator to be able to watch him and be able to adjust, not, not at halftime, but within a series, within a play. I mean, I, I remember there were times where he would just whistle real loud and then all of a sudden Matt Barkley would look back and he'd, he'd switch the call real fast. And it, it was a lot of fun uh, to be able to uh, watch him. And, and I grew a lot as a coach uh, from him as well as, as Coach Sark uh, offensively. Um, just really two innovative guys, brilliant, brilliant offensive minds and, and brilliant play callers. It's a reason that you look up and, and they're two not only highly – respected uh, offensive coordinators, play callers, but now they're back in those leadership uh, head coaching roles and glad for them. I'd love to bring, you know, focus more on that word you mentioned, innovative. I feel like the NFL over the past five, 10 years, there's been such an emphasis on innovation and creativity, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Where do you feel like the NFL is going? What are some of these like innovative things? I think the jet sweep is starting to take over a little bit in the NFL, obviously seeing a high percentage of RPOs in the NFL Mm -hmm. and at the college in college football. I talked to Minnesota head coach PJ Fleck recently, a, a team that runs RPOs at the highest rate in power five. So I'm interested to know where do you think, you know, college football, even the, um, the NFL, is really going what are other innovative things that you're seeing either on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball where like where this league is going where this game is going yeah you know you really saw it i, th- I thought sorry to call it and you mentioned the two guys in, in, in lane and sark and, and others that uh, really knew that uh, the college game was changing uh, it was going from a pro style game to uh being able to attack grass uh, with our hash marks of field, our, our, there's so much grass to the field and there's so much room that you have to cover that spread offenses came to be as well as tempo offenses came to be. And there was, you all of a sudden you went from a pro style offense that was I write uh, Z short, A42, Tom Y shallow XN uh, to cross. <laughs> Kids <laughs> were playing fast and there was spread. They were having fun. It was attacking every inch of grass, uh, both vertically and horizontally. And it was hard to defend because of the, uh, of the tempo. And and you saw uh, guys like ourselves, like Coach Sark, uh, like like uh, Coach Lane. Uh, you saw Dabo do it at Clemson. You've seen Alabama change their dyna- dynamic uh, with, with Coach Saban being there, who's a long-time, you know, long-time success at the college rec. He's adapted. And now you look at it at the it's it's filtering to the NFL. I, I I give so much credit to Andy Reid. I mean, how long has the guy been coaching in pro style systems? And he saw it. And and, and here's here's a guy that is so offensive, uh, brilliantly minded. Goes, you know what? We will adapt. Uh, and this we're going to acquire great athletes, be able to spread them around the park and use them in different ways that maybe the NFL hasn't seen. And you look up, you put a great quarterback within that system with great athletes around them uh, and go up tempo and go spread um, and it equals the Super Bowl. You know, so uh, it's exciting to see how the game has changed, uh, especially over the last decade. I think another important person in this conversation is your offense coordinator, Graham Harrell, a guy you've been, mm-hmm. who's been at USC since 2019, or I think in this role since 2019. You know, since then, USC passes at the third highest rate in Power Five, a team that likes to throw the football down the football field. What has been your opinion of Harrell and how he's developed, you know, kind of under your wing there? Yeah, you know, I've been so impressed with Graham. Uh, you know, I, I knew kind of what we wanted to go to. I, I'd been here, you know, uh, like I said, going to my 12th season and, and two years ago. I sat here and go, gosh, I might have had the opportunity to work with the Robert Woods, Marquise Leeds, the Nelson Aguilar, Juju Smith-Schuster's, 
Deontay Burnett, Michael Pittman, Zamora, St. Brown's, Tyler Bond, and and you just can acquire so many great receivers and skill players uh, out on the West Coast, and as well as tremendous quarterbacks. And I said, you know what? You're seeing this dynamic go across the country. Yes, still like to run the ball. You still got to instill the run game. Still got to be have that balance. But if you're elite in the passing game, uh, it equals points. And, and there's, a, I, I went out and, and hired a brilliantly minded coach in Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, just d- didn't know he was going to get offered the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> which I was so, so thrilled for him to be able to get that. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in, I knew which direction we wanted to go. And I had watched uh, Graham and seen what he had done at North Texas as a young coach, uh, a guy that was coming out of the NFL, that was getting finding his niche as a college football coach, how quickly it came about, how di- dynamic he was, um, and just brilliant. And so I ended up uh, uh, making that selection. And, man, to, to, to watch him go over the last two years has been fun for not only me but our kids. Uh, and it's putting points on the board. I'm glad you brought up the receivers because you have worked with a ton of receiving talent. Also, what, former receivers coach there at Memphis, and you've worked with Juju Smith-Schuster, and even more recently, Michael Pittman Jr., Amon Ross St. Brown. You know, I asked the same question to P.J. Fleck, who's obviously worked with a ton of receiving talent as well. Corey Davis, Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson. What do you feel like is the most important trait or aspect of a receiver when you are evaluating wide receiver talent? And on the back end of that, at the collegiate level, what do you feel like are traits or aspects that you can coach up, that you can develop? You know, we talk a ton about on this podcast what can you coach up at the next level and what's just god-given what are those god-given traits that you just are prerequisites to being talented whether it's in college or in the nfl so what do you feel like are those traits you look for and what are those traits or, or aspects you can coach up either at the college or nfl level yeah you know that's an interesting question because i you know i think about the the kids that have played for us now men um that have played for us you know what the one thing that they've had they were total football you know, Michael Pittman was as good an outside linebacker as he was a wide receiver. Wow. I thought he <laughs> could have been a first-round draft pick safety, and he played safety as well as wide receiver. I made the worst evaluation of my life when Marquise Lee walked in here. I thought he was going to I thought he was going to be a first-round draft pick corner. And he was like, Coach, I just need four days to show you wide out. It didn't take four days. It took four plays. And I was like, hey, definitely, you're, you're a wide out, and he goes on and, and wins the Blitnikoff. Um, you know, so it's we've had a lot of success here with kids that have unbelievable offensive skill set, but have defensive mentality. They're tough, competitive kids. Robert Woods was a two was a both way guy. Uh, Juju both ways. Michael Pittman both ways. Nelson Aguilar was a safety running back. You know, so I, I like those kids that are complete football players. Obviously, God given talent. Uh, you can't coach speed. Um, you really, you know, speed and size uh, are the two things that God gives you. Uh, and then um, the things that, that you can really hone in as a, as a coach, you, you can teach them work ethic. You can teach them blue collar mentality. You can teach them how to be a student of the game. You can be, teach them how to have attention to detail and technique and how to be a pro, you know. But there's a couple things, size, speed, ratio, God-given. Uh, and then you, you and that's why they put coach in front of your name to go teach young men how to be pros. And we've been very fortunate uh, in our time here uh, to be able to see a lot of wideouts uh, head on and play on Sundays and have a lot of success at that level. 
I want to get to the quarterback conversation here soon, but one more comment on the receiver, specifically Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, you know, hit the NFL uh, in in full sprints, you know, playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers, playing alongside Antonio Brown, I think was nearing multiple rookie receiving yards records. And his production over the past recent years has kind of slowed down. People have speculated, can he stay on the outside? Can he be a number one in that Steelers offense? What's been your opinion of his development in Pittsburgh? And where do you think... You know, how does it get better for Juju Smith-Schuster? How does it get better for him after Antonio Brown leaving and him now working as that kind of number one guy there in Pittsburgh? Yeah, you, you know what? The thing that I love about our kids, and and I, I'll bring up two names um, that really hit them. There's no difference between Juju Smith-Schuster and Robert Woods. Um, I, you know what I love about both of them? They're asked to do a job, and they do it. You know, And whatever that role is, whether it's digging out a safety in the run game, uh, whether it's uh, being a lead blocker in a bunch set, whether it's uh, w- whether it's making a play, given the opportunity to get the ball thrown to you deep, short, in- intermediate, um, they do what they're asked to do, and, and they're productive. And they and I appreciate both kids because even while they were here, it wasn't about the amount of touches. It was I'm going to make the most of my opportunity. Every time I get an opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it. So when I watched Ju- Juju even last year, I thought unbelievable ultra competitiveness uh, he, he still has that and still does that and still makes plays you know so whether he's a one whether he's a two all i know is when he's asked to do the job that that's that's what he does and and it's probably the reason he garnered another year in pittsburgh you know to be honest with you and i look forward for him to even have a better year this year uh, robert was in that kind of that that area too uh and then all of a sudden uh, uh, he gets with Sean McVay and what happens? I mean, he, he accelerates it to the next level. So I look forward to the same thing for Juju. One more player that you you know formerly coached, uh, Sam Darnold, before we get to 2021 USC football. I, I'd be interested to know kind of your opinion of, you know, obviously a ton of high expectations going to the New York Jets as a top five, top 10 draft pick. And then, you know, just never met those expectations in New York. A lot of that on situation. You know, I've had conversations with JT O'Sullivan on this podcast about how much situation can affect quarterback play and quarterback development. How much do you feel that New York affected or slowed Sam Darnold's development? And on the flip side of that, now with Joe Brady, former LSU offensive coordinator, now with the Carolina Panthers, there is in this new system, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. How much do you feel like that new situation could benefit Sam Darnold? Well, I'm so happy for Sam. I think he's got a great opportunity ahead of him. He's with a great coaching staff that is surrounded um, with some dynamic skill players and even invested even more if you watch the NFL draft and the players they're putting around. There, there's a distinct plan there. Um, and so I'm really happy for Sam. I think it's a, a great situation for him. And just like with all quarterbacks, you, you know, um, it, it's hard to believe, but Sam left here extremely young. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years old going into the draft. And I've always thought that <clears throat> whether it's college, uh, elite college level, or, or elite pro level, you know, experience and reps and time help. You know, he's got God-given ability and he's got competitiveness and he can make plays. That was obvious even with the Jets. He made some dynamic, unbelievable plays. Um, and now to be in a situation that it, that he's in a situation he's extremely comfortable, he's excited about, uh, he's got a coaching staff around him uh, really believes in, got some, uh, got some skilled players around him uh, that – that uh, can really do some special things. I'm excited for him, and, and I, I look forward to watching him this year. Uh, I know he's excited about it. Uh, he's got a fresh energy about him, and uh, it, he's going to surprise a lot of people. You watch. I, I'm having the opportunity to work with him, he's going to surprise a lot of folks. 
Are you still in contact with Sam? Have you had any opportunities to talk with him or meet with him since he did make that transition to Carolina? Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I, I always, we always text. We always, he's always nice enough whether whether we're winning or losing to share something. I'll share something. But just after that, I was just, I, I texted him. I was really excited for him. You know, I got to hug his neck the other day. We lost a, um, uh, a, a member of our Trojan family and Chris Brown was at his memorial service and it was awful nice to hug his neck and to see uh, the man he's become and uh, Carolina is very fortunate they've, they've got a good person a, a good man and a really good player that's awesome to hear man that's awesome you guys were able to connect moving to you know another quarterback probably another future first round pick if not a future top 10 pick in Keaton Slovis a guy that this past year according to an article from The Athletic you know there was sort of some struggles with confidence his quarterback mechanics there were some things that were off and I think some of that a lot of that was COVID-19 and how much that impacted the transition from 2019 to 2020 and the limited season and those types of things mm-hmm. obviously some struggles last year compared to his 2019 campaign where I'll add this the most accurate quarterback in college football according to PFF that year was Keaton Slovis and then you go into this season obviously takes a little bit of a step back there in terms of meeting expectations after what was an insane true freshman year what are your expectations for Keaton Slovis what's next for him how does he get back on the saddle and really prove what he was in 2019 and expand on that well I'm really happy for 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 Keaton because one you know people don't realize you know that position is is it's about experience it's about reps uh, and, you know, you, you go have a great freshman season, you're thrust in, in, in that situation and does an exceptional job. And then, it, you know, all of a sudden you come in and on March 15th, they say, no, you, you, you can't come into work anymore. And <laughs> you're not going to come back into work till July 6th, you know, and, and then and then you're really not going to get to go back out there with your wideout still training camp <laughs> have a wow. chance to, to, to throw a ball. You know, so, you know, when you lose, when you lose that amount of time and, and to be able to use those experience, those reps, that those chemistry, you know, it, confidence is built on experience and, and reps um, and, and being comfortable with the guys around you. And so to, to be able to have an off season, like, and, and let's say this last season too, I still watched them in, in, in the most, uh, the hardest moments go win, win an Arizona State game on a fourth and 17, lead us to a game-winning drive, Arizona two game-winning drives down the stretch, and then does an unbelievable job and shows his confidence in the last game, uh, regular season game against UCLA, makes two checks on the last two plays for a big conversion um, to Tyler Vaughn's for a big play, and then checks a touchdown pass <laughs> that was supposed to be a run to Amon Ross A. Brown. So, you, you know, you watched him gaze confidence as he gained those reps and and now having this offseason and being able to watch him be around a Drake London and a Gary Bryan and a Brew McCoy and the guys that are around him to be able to show his leadership skills over an eight-week strength and conditioning cycle, five weeks of spring training camp, uh, now having a summer under his belt where he's going to get the player run practices, where he's going to have another fall training camp i expect huge things from him. I, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country uh, i think he's got the chance to be the best quarterback in the country if he stays on his progression obviously we're a quarterback driven league and usually when you uh, usually when you see the guys that have the quarterbacks in this league those are the guys who win the conference championship so i'm um, i feel extremely fortunate that keaton is here and going into his third year here 
And I, I'm glad you brought up the chemistry because obviously some big shoes to fill in the receiving core. You know, Tyler Vaughn's no longer there. Amon Ross St. Brown, a guy that's going to have to step up there, Drake London. I know you spoke to, I think, in a recent press conference that you feel confident that you can spend Drake London's time on the outside. He can play on the outside. He has that versatility to play on the inside. How, how easy is it going to be for Drake London to fill these shoes? Because there's a lot of high expectations around this kid, a guy that a lot of people liked watching over the past few years. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm very excited about Drake's future. Um, just to watch him in in his first season um, uh, two years ago, watch his progression where the light came on about midway through the, through that first season. Then he just took off this last year uh, with him and Amon Ra kind of sharing back and forth. He, you know who, who's the go to guy. Now it's his time. You know he's going into his third year. He's kind of taking that role uh, of being able to be that Michael Pittman, that Amon Ra St. Brown that Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, to be a guy that can go inside or outside. I mean, just a dynamic frame. I mean, six foot five plus, 217 pounds. My goodness. Uh, I mean, he just runs. I, I mean, he, he's – obviously, he's not this guy yet, but he's in the mold of a Mike Evans. I mean, he just does stuff you're like, gosh, that's a big man with little man skills. <laughs> yeah. And every day he walks out there, I'm just amazed by the plays that he makes. You know, so – um, you know, I, I expect huge things from him. I, he's had a really good offseason. You know, he really had a sense of urgency to be great. You know, not that, oh, I've had two good years. I'm going to get comfortable. I'm going to get stagnant. He really approached this offseason as, man, I want to be the best in the country. Uh, help me get there. And, and so we've challenged him. Uh, we got him outside his comfort zone, uh, going from inside receiver to outside receiver, and, and really grew as a player, as a person, as a leader. Um, and so uh, we're fortunate to have him. Uh, I know this. I pray every day he stays healthy, stays safe. <laughs> we get him to the park because he puts points on the board. I know that. Six foot five, two seventeen, man. That is a rare breed. Is that what you're expecting him to play at this season? Is that a weight he's comfortable at? Because that is – that's wild to me, man. Yeah, he he he's he moves. I mean, moves like like a little guy. Has great <laughs> release skills. Guys, has really good speed. Uh, obviously, has that transition that you see that I that he was an. I thought he was an elite basketball player coming out of. At, uh, he he got recruited uh, in by our basketball team as well as us, and was on wow. the basketball team his freshman year. And so has those transition skills that you see in a basketball player can play above the rim. Um, just, uh, just a really special talent and is going to be the next big thing to be honest with you at that, at that wide out court. Last thing here for you, coach. And I really appreciate the time. It's another Drake, Drake Jackson, a guy that a lot of people have high expectations for as well. And we've talked about a lot of players you've coached up some guys that have been fantastic at the quarterback and receiver position, but the defensive linemen that have come out of USC of late are, are no joke either. Cheno and Wosu, obviously the guys most recently, Marlon Tui Pelotu, J2 Fele, two guys that have been on this podcast before as well. Rasheem Green, Leonard Williams, you know, compare Drake Jackson to some of those guys. What kind of talent is Drake Jackson? Well, I, I'll say this. Um, you know, when I when I first got here, we signed a young man named Leonard Williams, and he could he was the, he was the one guy in the league you had to game plan for. You had to know where he was, and Drake is getting to that point. The havoc that he causes. There's a couple guys in this league that you better know where they're at. You better be sliding to them. You better put a tight end over them. You better be chipping them. You better be doing something because if you leave them in a one on one matchup, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a long day. And he's one of those guys. He, he's he's really, uh, you know, after two really good years, 
I, I think is ready to take it even to the next level. Um, he, you know, has had a good off season. Uh, he, he's that same guy as, as Drake London, the two Drakes. They got this chip on their shoulder that they, they know it's a, a big year, not only for our team, but for them individually. Uh, and they're not getting comfortable uh, in, in their process. Uh, and they're really trusting the process and working extremely hard to prepare for this season. This has been honestly fantastic. I really appreciate the insight, Coach. This has been awesome. I really appreciate the time as well, and best of luck this season. Austin, really appreciate you, buddy. Thank you. Man, all these coaches that I've talked to of late, uh, Tom Allen, P.J. Fleck, and now Clay Hilton. I talked to Jed Fish yesterday, talking to Herm Edwards today. Just energy, energy, energy. Guys that just bring the heat with every time. And I think it's different because I interviewed a ton of players, obviously, for this podcast over the past year. I think we did 70 players for the 2021 NFL Draft. It's very different when you see guys with like media experience on the mic with this energy, and they can actually bring things to the table. I thought what he said about Sam Darnold and expectations for him in Carolina talked about his youth a ton. Uh, I'm interested to see this these receivers, this receiver he's got, Drake London, six foot five monster, apparently dominating in spring ball. Drake Jackson, a lot of love there as well. Excited for USC football in 2021, maybe 2022. No, yeah, 2021. Maybe you're not because you're a hater and and Notre Dame stand, but still a lot of fun with Coach uh Notre Dame for the first time since 2016 hell yeah hell yeah all right maybe that's gonna do it for this year uh this episode uh definitely make sure you subscribe rate and review if you are on YouTube make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel get an update every time two foreign drafts is dropped on the YouTube channel uh make sure you rate review the podcast as well until next time Austin Gale Mike Renner producer Quinn producer Dave and producer Max new to the show two for one drafts (laughs) 